I would advise that be ready for everything. Don't take anything for granted. So sit tight, be ready. If you enjoy roller coasters, this will be a hit for you. Go along the ride and make best out of it. So don't get disappointed if with the first roadblocks, et cetera, you will see a lot of roadblocks. So be ready, motivated, and just look forward. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey, and I am your host, Devin Miller, the uh, serial entrepreneur that's uh, founded several businesses and grown up to seven and eight figure companies, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today's episode, we have another great guest, and uh, I'm going to try and pronounce his name as best I can, but I can't promise I'll do it justice. Ashkar, and I know he told me it was like NASCAR, but with an with an A. So that's my best attempt. But he'll probably say it much better. But uh, he is a um, gone through a bit of a. He started his um, a company a couple of years ago, and uh, prior to that, he'd worked for some larger uh, companies like Seagate and Red Hat, and uh, he moved around a bit and uh, did some, or worked for larger companies and ever uh, did, did some things with UC Berkeley, which he'll tell you a little bit more about. Uh, but now he's on to his own uh, own company and his own idea and doing his startup and uh, and and uh, we'll get to dive into that a bit more. So with that much of an introduction, welcome to the pa- or the podcast, Ashkar. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Um, my name is Ashkar Riahi. You pronounced it very well. <laughs> um, so I'm the founder and CTO of Adam Beam Technologies. Uh, we are focusing on uh, using machine learning to train uh, based on uh, data and compacting the data and also making it secure, spe- specifically in the area of IoT devices. And uh, 98% of the IoT devices uh, are not secured. So, and as we know, that market is growing rapidly. And uh, I think well, I'm, I'm going to jump in and see if I can simplify it or dumb it down for a lot more people at my level. So, if I were to take it, you've got AI, which is artificial intelligence, or using that as a platform to um, shrink the data, making it make it take less room or less storage space, and also making it secure. And then when you talk about IoT, that's Internet of Things, which is a lot of the little devices, whether it's going into some of your different platforms or some things that make smarter devices that you don't often think of, a lot of those things that interconnect everything together. So make things, uh, data smaller and make it work with a lot of devices. Is that a, a, a fair enough summary? Uh, yes, and add add to that set more security. Uh, okay. So yes, more secure. So, <laughs> Great. Yeah. Right. No. So we take that. We got Adam Beam, which is where you're at today. Now let's take a couple steps backwards to build up to your journey of what led you to where you're at today. So maybe dive into a bit of that journey, or take those couple steps backwards. Absolutely, I would be happy to. Uh, so I studied computer science uh, back in Austria many years ago, and I did my master's degree, moved, uh, worked with a German company called Siemens, everybody probably aware of that, uh, for several years, then moved to US, worked with uh, a big data center management company, uh, then moved to work for HP. Sorry, jumping in there just a little bit. So you originally were in Austria. What made you decide to come to the US? Was it, hey, you want to come to the, you know, the US because it's an awesome place or purely for work or you wanted to see different part of the country or you followed a girlfriend, followed a love of your, what was the reason <laughs> for moving? I don't, just, I don't know which it is. So I thought I'd yeah. ask. 
Well, that, that's interesting, uh, uh, actually, story. So I was working, and I uh, I was not I had visited US before, but I was not planning to come to US immediately. But one day I received a call, middle of the night. Somebody in New Jersey called me with a thick New Jersey accent uh, in Vienna, Austria, and says, "Hey, uh, are you so?" So I had my website that was early. I don't know if people remember GeoCities, but I had my website on GeoCities back then, mm. my own website with my resume and what I'm doing. So the guy calls me and says, "So." We found out that he was basically trying to, he thought I'm living in Vienna, which is a district close to Washington, D.C. So he thought I'm still in U.S. in that particular oh. call. Uh, so, but that was a mistake that was interesting because later on, we, uh, he ended up hiring me, uh, bringing my, me to U.S. Yeah. So he thought you were in the U.S. He was just calling somebody else in the U.S. You were really in Austria. Yeah. But in, in the meantime, you convinced him that you were an awesome guy and worth hiring. <laughs> kind of, yeah. We can look at it that way, yeah. <laughs> you hired you anyway, and you made your move to the U.S. So yeah, okay. correct. So you moved over to the U.S. and started working. Sorry, which company was that again? That was... Uh, that was an MCI system house. Later on, a company called EDS bought it. So we were basically in the business data center managing of other companies like we were managing Apple, Roche Vitamin, Cadence Design Systems, production environments mm. in that data center. And it uh, was a really great experience for me a few years there. And then I switched to HP, worked for HP for 13 years. After HP, I moved to Seagate, uh, worked there about three years. Red Hat, two years. UC Berkeley, about two years. And then I started my own company. So one comment I think interesting, or at least interesting to me connection, maybe not interesting to anybody else is a small tidbit. So prior, prior to starting my own firm, which is Miller IP, I worked for another, another law firm. It was a bigger law firm. And one of their clients was actually Red Hat. So I doubt we overlapped in time, but at least uh, I got to work on, you know, IP wise, I worked with a lot of the Red Hat patents and a lot of their data systems and how they did their databases and how they moved it and secured it and everything else. So that was a, a, a small, small <laughs> common connection. Yeah, a small world. A great company, actually, Red Hat. So, yeah, and um, so I started a com- uh, my, uh, with a friend, actually, that was also interesting how we got to know each other. But uh, so he's the CEO now. We started the company together um, based on my vision that I had, you know, to address the um, ever-mounting amount of data, never, you know, there's no basically solution to address this growth of data, specifically when it comes to IoT generating data. Some studies says like by 2025, that will be more than 50% of the internet uh, traffic will be on the IoT. Now, internet of things like the sensors we have in the home or factories or fields, measuring temperatures, pressure, etc. cetera. Uh, the thing about these devices is that uh, the data that they generate, the original data is very small. So the normal compression doesn't work to make them smaller. But when you add them up, uh, they are a huge amount of data. So, And also, as I said, most of them are not secured. So, Okay. So I'm going to jump back here just, or maybe I don't know, jump back, but ask one additional kind of follow-up question, which is, I mean, so you worked for some what would have been some large companies, right? So right. CD, large company. Red Hat, Red Hat's a lot, uh, a large company. UC Berkeley that you did a little bit there for a while. And so you work for a lot of big businesses. And I think you mentioned HP and a few others. Yeah. And so what, you know, those are certainly big businesses. They have a lot of resources. They have a lot of reach. 
can pay yes. great benefits. You know, I don't know what they paid you, but can pay great benefits and have a lot of, you know, perks and those type of things. So what was the motivation to say, hey, I've worked for all these big businesses and now I'm going to jump over and do, you know, go to my own startup, do a small business and, and try that for a while. What made you decide to, you know, kind of leave big business world, the big corporate world and jump over to the startup world? Well, great question. Actually, after a while of doing that, you know, many years in uh, working for big enterprises, you have seen almost, you think you have seen almost everything. And then at the same time, there is a drive, uh, was a drive in me, wanted to do something by my own. And I thought that at the time that I started, this was the best time to do that. Uh, one of the things I always think is maybe I should have started earlier a little bit. But you, there's never late or too soon, I would say. But the drive to start something that you want to innovate, basically. When I was at HP, for instance, their motto was inno, in, innovate. So one of the things, and invent. Uh, basically, if you look at the HP logo back then, it was saying invent. So it was always back on my mind that you need to do something beside your daily job that impacts either other people's life or, you know, improve some processes or something that is coming from you. You're not going to do the job only because you have to do the job, daily job, but rather think out of the box, you know. And that is a drive, I think, in many people that they, they want to do something by their own, uh, start something that they think it will change uh, to the positive. Mm. No, I think that that makes sense. And so you take that drive. And I think one of the other things that you mentioned is the, the drive had been there for a while. And I think you even said, hey, when you moved from Austria to the U.S., you, you know, talked a little bit before the podcast, um, before we started it, uh, you know, was that, um, that you always wanted to do that startup. You always or had that desire. And while you work for the biz, big businesses, it was really with the motivation. Sometime I want to do my own thing or do my own yeah. startup or take my, exactly. try my own course. Is that right? Exactly. That's exactly true. Yeah. So tell me, and so now you make the decision. And so was it, and you know, there's always a couple different ways things can play out. One is that you have the idea and then you, you know, then you, you do the startup and the other is, Hey, I'm tired or worn out with, you know, with the big businesses. I want to do my startup. I'll get, you know, I'll make the leap and then kind of develop the idea or come up with the idea at the end. So how did you kind of come up with the idea for what you guys are now doing with, with Adam Beam? Was it, you know, while the still, or while still at working with the, uh, one of the businesses, afterwards and then how did you kind of you mentioned you kind of had a partner some of the European ideas off of how did you kind of get that all going yeah so we I started with the idea originally as I said working with big companies not the the final idea but rather the question and I was looking for an answer for it for it and the question is at that time how we can address this ever-growing data because there was a study for instance if all the storage manufacturers make storage, they cannot address the need for storage the way the rate of data is growing. Mm. And, uh, and the techniques and the algorithms already in use are about 40, 50 years old. That you, you look at the storage way that the hard drives, you look at how they are storing the data. It's the same as it was 30, 40 years ago. The only thing is the you know, aerial density is growing. You have a bigger hard drive space. But the, 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 the algorithms, the way the data is handled is basically the same. Hmm. Um, nothing has improved there. And the compression, the same. You, all the most of compression algorithms are many decades old. So I was always thinking there should be a new way to address this issue. And, and not only on the storage part, also transmission part, networking through the net. You see, you, we will get more and more bandwidth, but the data grows as well. So we, now we are 5G. So next 
maybe in a few years, 60, but, but it never ends because the data is growing so fast. So there was a need to address this issue. How, to, how can we step back and look at the, the original place where the data is generated? Right there, we can transform it so that it doesn't need that much space or doesn't need that much bandwidth. Mm. So that was the main goal. And then I worked with my wife. I told you, I think, that she wrote the first prototype. She's also was a classmate of mine mm. and in um, our language. And it worked fine. So that's where we said, okay, it does work. It's not just an idea. Then we started to looking for partners. And then we started, to, I get to know my new partner. And we started the company together. Yeah. So, was, or what, so kind of a side note, but so your wife, and we talked just a little bit, your wife wrote the initial or simple code, kind of yeah. almost a proof of concept or to convince yourself would work, so to speak. So right. what was, did she continue on to work with you and help develop it? Is she part of the company or she just helps you out initially get going and then she went on her merry way or what was her level of involvement going forward? Uh, she, she's kind of advisor to us. She's advisor to us, but she, she has her own career in biotech in the industry she has yeah so she continued with her own career but here and there a lot of play times and that's about startup you get help wherever you can mm. it's not like a you know formed an enterprise that you have well-defined positions so she has helped us uh, a lot during the past two years wherever we needed and we thought okay she can help but at the same time she has her own career and the same thing with other people like friends uh, you have to take every resource that you have when you start a startup, you know. It's not like you can pay everybody to do something. Sometimes people come and without paying, they even put time and help you. That was the case with her. Okay. Well, I think that, because uh, I always always wondering, you know, I, I take the dynamic of myself and my wife and, you know, whereas I love startups and love small businesses and do it a lot, of, a lot with them and everything else. She's much more of a nine to five. I just, you know, I want to go into work. I want to get things done. And now yeah. she's a stay at home mom, but she used to work at uh, Cleveland Clinic as a nurse and she'd always just want to come home with that. So I always find it interesting, the di different dynamics between, you know, married yeah. couples, if how, you know, how much they're involved with the business and what that looks like and how that works out. So um, anyway, that's cool. So the side yeah. note stuff. So you found the business, so you, you finally, you come up with the idea, your wife helps you kind of create the code and, and you know, do that. Um, get kind of your simple proof of concept, you know, find the business partner that's going to help you out with it. And, you know, he's been here, come on board. So how, you know, and I think that you've now, are, and remind me, because I may be way off, but I think it, that was a couple of years ago when you founded the company and kind of got it going, right? right? Yeah. So how has it gone the last couple of years? How has it taken off and just made you guys rich beyond belief? Has it been a struggle? Has it been ups and downs or how's that gone for you? Well, it, I can say it's really very exciting, uh, you know, because the way that we have developed the software, we, the way that we have brought people on board, but it's a roller coaster, definitely. So as any other startup, you know, you think you are done a uh, 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 great job by next month and you have achieved what you want. There is a customers coming in and then suddenly something happens, some bugs or something that makes it difficult to reach that goal. You, the only thing is you never give up. And then uh, the, we had really a lot of ups and downs. But right now we are at a really good uh, place. We have big companies looking into our solution. We are doing several POCs. Investors are very interested in investing. We had really great angel investor, investors, actually, I should say, but one of them, very good one. So supported us so far. And then we are hitting, suddenly we were ready to 
uh, POC done, uh, all that, and the, the one of the really first customer, paying customer go uh, online, then COVID-19 happens, and then, you know, everything goes down again, and you, you, you have to be able to be flexible and manage all these challenges, which with a big enterprise, you don't. I mean, it's so big that usually you either have a job, you do your job, or worst case scenario is that you get laid off or whatever. But these ups and downs happens with startups because you do everything. We are, we are, we are making fun of ourselves. We say we are, uh, you know, founders, janitors. You know, we clean everything. We do coding. We do testing. Everything that possibly you do. So, no, I, I really get that. And that's, it sounds like every good startup story. You do everything from the CEO position down to the janitor position. You take yep. out the garbage. You go pick up the mail. You do yep. the. Co- you do the building, you do the sales and marketing and everything in between. It has to get done and somebody has to do it and you yeah. use the resources you have, which oftentimes is yourself. So right. that's cool. So you take now, so take you guys have done it for a couple of years, you, you know, started to build some, got some client, you got a it landed of kind of the first client with your proof of concept and continue to build it, slow down a bit with COVID, but where do you see the next six months to a year go for you? So we see we will have uh, a really in the next six months um, at least two, three uh, paying customers. Mm. And that's where we think the differentiation will be shown up because what we are doing is not a product that people have seen a lot before. You mm. know, IoT for itself is a new field. And, uh, and then we are bringing a new solution to that that ne- no, nobody has thought about it. Because when you talk about small data, for instance, they say it's small anyway, why you want to make it smaller, right? So a little bit of change of uh, perception is needed here, training, teaching people why the product does what it does best, what, what the benefits are. For instance, saving battery of those small uh, sensors that you place somewhere or saving or extending the distance of those, et cetera. So it needs a little bit of work. It's not a product, you know, it's not Pepsi and Coke that people know exactly both of them. You have, you have seen if new drinks come in, you say, okay, that's in the same category. This is a new solution and needs its own runway for people to get to know it, trust it, and then we hopefully we will see it will pick up, uh, take off. Okay. And, I, and, and here's one question for you, and I think it's one that, you know, a lot of, Startups and spe- <laughs> excuse mm-hmm. me, especially when you get into engineers and technology and product development and that is you know there's kind of this tension between engineers that always want it to be a perfect product. They always want it to you know work 100 percent of the time and work exactly how you visualized it and you know have no glitches and it's you know it's almost you're never going to reach that and it's never going to be perfect. It's yeah. it's never going to be done. You're always going to work on it. So you have that as kind of one side. And the other side, you're saying, but we also need to make money. We also need to make sales. We also have to be able to yeah. support the company. So how do you know when a product or in your product, how do you know when it's good enough to really go out and push in the marketplace or sell? Or, you know, how do you make that determination? So, yeah, a great question. We have this uh, early on, we defined a minimal viable product. What is a minimum MVP for us? What is, if I would be a customer, I would like to have that product maybe it doesn't have all the perfection features, uh, but, uh, and we defined it well, I think. So we have defined a minimum viable product as a product that does the job that we mainly claim that it does, compacting data, securing data, now uh, ease of use, et cetera. So 
maybe it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that we have on our roadmap, which we think we can do. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is what we are advocating right now. We say, okay, this product that we right now have does what we really say it does. And on the roadmap, you will see additional features in the future, but that's also what we claim. We don't claim all those features are available right now. So we th I think if you focus on the minimum viable product and pre present it the way it is without, you know, too much, um, you know, uh, sugar coating or whatever. You just say, this is what it is. This is that what does what it we say it does. That's good enough. Okay. So no, perfection I, sometimes is, you know, as they say, enemy of good. So. Yep. No, and I agree. So I, I think that's a good thing. You know, the only only caveat or pushback, and this is always, yeah. I always look at minimally viable product, and for whatever reason, by by it always seems like, well, let's put out the crappiest product as quick as we can. <laughs> and I always look at it more. As, I always wish it would be more like maximally viable product, yeah. in the sense that you look at the constraints you have, you look at the ability, you know, what resources you have, the runway, the amount of money you have left in the company what you need to provide. And then you do just so many options. You do the maximally viable product, which is the best product you can put out within the resources you have. So if you only have a three month runway and you have to get it out or the company folds yeah. up, then you figure out what to do in that. The best product you can put out within that amount of time. If you have a year of investor dollars or two years or, you know, however long, then you put out the best product you can within that time, but make sure exactly. you so I think we are talking about the same thing in different terms, but I like your description better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I always do. I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe it's just the way it always rang in my head. I'm like, minimally viable product means it seems like it's the very worst that still yeah. works. And so that's what I always, that's what I always, yeah. I always like, I always, I always like to uh, use the, or the other analogy better. Oh, so yeah, that's a fair point. Yep. So, no, so you take that. So, uh, First of all, wish you the best of luck on the, the, you know, the next six months to a year. So as we're reaching towards the end of the podcast, I always hit you on two questions. And so maybe we'll jump to those now. Yeah. So the first question I always ask is, um, what was the worst business decision you ever made? Uh, I think the worst business decision I made uh, was why I didn't start earlier. Uh, I should have started earlier, maybe, uh, when I think of, of what I've, we have done and the progress we have done. Mm. Um, so I think that was the, uh, in, in my career, I should have started maybe earlier to, to start my own startup. Okay. And what do you think, what do you think held you back or what made you decide to wait so long or to wait longer than you think you should have? Uh, I think part of it is because you're not sure if you will be the thought that if you start, you can fail and the expectation of yourself that, oh, I only will start if I, if I win, if I succeed, that, that is really a kind of prohibitor. It stops you from moving forward, risking, although I'm a person that I have done enough risks in my life, moving around uh, continents, et cetera. So, but still, when you get a certain, you know, family, kids, a certain security level in your life, always you think, okay, should I risk all of this or partially? So that's the balance you have to find. And it's, I think it's different for different people, but you have to find a way to say, okay, I don't want to risk everything because you have worked hard to get to that point. Right. You have kids, school, you think about college, costs, all of that. And, but when is the best time? So that's again different for different people i would i would probably dare say i don't know there's ever the best time or ever a great time 
Yes. Now that there are better times and worse times, but you always look at it and, you know, the best time to start a lot of is, you know, kind of the old cliche is now in the sense that if you can always wait till too long, right? You can always wait yeah. till time has run out and then you always have the regrets. Yeah. And, you know, so, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that you quit. You're, everybody go quit their job, yeah. leave their family destitute and have no way, no means of income to just follow your dreams. So I think there's a balance there, but I think you got to weigh sometimes you almost, you got to take, it's always going to be a risky proposition. You know, give you an example. Yeah. One is if you have kids and the, you know, kids are saying, well, we can't do why we have kids. And then you get a little bit further and the kids are off to college and yeah. say, now I'm establishing my career when I make, you know, retire, you know, when I make retirement or, you know, when I yeah. make it enough, we have enough savings then I'll take that risk. Or, and then you get towards the end of retirement and say, well, now I'm retired or I don't want to put my retirement in jeopardy. And so now I'm going to, now I'm going to, I'll wait till it's a second career. Then you get to it and say, oh, I'm just worn out. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So there's always a, you know, I think there's always that balance of, you got to look at it and say, I, if I really want to do this, I got to figure out a way to do it now, but I got to do it responsibly. So I don't leave anybody or my family yeah. destitute. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right, now we jump to the second question. So if you'd uh, be talking to, you know, somebody that's just getting into startup, just getting into small business, what would the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would advise that be ready for everything. Don't take anything for granted. So sit tight, be ready. If you enjoy roller coasters, this will be a hit for you. Go along the ride and make best out of it. So don't get disappointed if with the first roadblocks, etc. You will see a lot of roadblocks. So be ready, motivated, and just look forward. No, and I agree. And I... I... I always used to use the analogy that it was a, like a roller coaster, but then I was talking with it was somebody else on a different, I think it was on a different one of the episodes. I always make, mix up all where yep. I get all the things, but they, they do it more of, Hey, you know, it's, it, it's not really as much of a roller coaster. It's more like the home, whole theme park. It's more, <laughs> you know, you get all excited to go to the theme park. You get all, you know, you get in, you, you're excited. And then you go and you get on the roller coaster and you hit the ups and downs and then you get off and you're a little sick. And so you have to take a little bit of a break and then you get excited again. And then you go hit on the bumper cars and get banged around a little bit. And then you go take a break and have your, you know, so it's kind of almost the, the whole theme park is really yeah. up as opposed I mean, to even just the, the, the roller coaster. That's a good one, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. So, all right, well, as we wrap up, if people want to get in contact with you, they want to use your product, they want to invest in your product, they want to be your cheerleader, they want to find out more information or just ask any questions, what's a good way to uh, reach out to you? Uh, just visit our website, Adam Beam Tech. That's adambeamtech.com. And all the information is there. An Adam like an Adam, not like Adam the day, but Adam like, you know, the, what you're made up of or everything's made up of. Yeah, A-T-O-M, yeah. Beam B like a beam for a board and then uh, tech for technology. So adambeamtech.com. Perfect. Exactly. So every, I certainly invite everybody to go check you out, get in contact with you and uh, support you on your journey and wish you the best luck in the, uh, on the remainder of your journey. So um, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, for everybody else that uh, wants, if anybody else is out there and wants to tell their journey of uh, the inventive journey they're taking, feel free to apply to be a guest. Just go to inventivejourneyguest.com and you can apply to be on the show. Um, if you're a listener, make sure to subscribe uh, so you can listen to this episode and all the new episodes coming out. And uh, certainly if you need help with any patents and trademarks, uh, feel free to reach out to us. We're always here to help and uh, take care of the startups and small businesses. So Thank you again for coming on. It was a pleasure. You. Wish you the best uh, next leg of your journey. And uh, we'll have to talk to you again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.